Welcome to Giant Talk, everyone, the world's first OKR podcast in partnership with the guys over at Coam. Um, today, as you can tell, Lawrence is in the hot seat, so he'll be answering questions rather than hosting. So you've got me, um, Jenny, hosting today's episode. And we're going to be talking about a really fascinating topic today called about um, OKRs as a network and not a hierarchy. But for, before we just kick off, I just wanted to note that if you've got any questions during the session, please pop them in the chat and then we'll try and answer as many as possible live as we can. So to kick us off, I'm just going to ask for some introductions, please. I'll come to you first, Lawrence, and then to you, Matt. So, Lawrence. Thanks, Jen. So, yeah, um, hopefully most people know me already if they've listened to <laughs> any of the podcasts before. I have been hosting it for about 18 months now. Um if this happens to be your first time listening to one of our podcasts, uh, I'm Lawrence. I work for Deb Giants, head of OKR Projects, um, been with the business a couple of years now, two and a half years, something like that. Um, and, you know, we are an OKR consultancy based in the UK, but powering OKRs around the world. Um, so helping companies to embed OKRs in the right way for them. Uh, and I lead on most of those projects here at Derby Giants. So, so that's me. Great. Thanks, Lawrence. And Matt? Hey, everybody. This is Matt Tucker. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Koan. Thrilled, as always, to join for uh, these podcasts. Um, we love working with uh, the Derby Giants team. Um, we provide uh, software to help companies with their strategic and operational cadence. And, of course, one critical component of that is helping companies manage OKRs at scale from teams all the way up to company-wide implementations. And very excited um, for this topic today. Great. Thanks, Matt. So as we're all excited about, let's dive straight in, I guess. So Lawrence, I'm going to come to you first. So when we say a network of OKRs, what do you mean by this? Yeah, okay. So um, good place to start, I suppose, as any. Um, the picture that I want people to get into their minds right from the beginning of, of this podcast as we're talking about this topic is, is that of a web, really, a web of OKRs that connect at different points and, and connect in different directions. So rather than a traditional waterfall or pyramid that you might have seen from um, outcome-based objective-setting frameworks before, it's, it's, it's this web or network of OKRs building out from a core central principle, um, a core central strategy for the business that I want people to kind of be thinking about. Um, and and, and it's, it's a really important differentiation because it will change your mindset and the whole company's mindset about OKRs as soon as you start thinking of them in this way, as we're going to come on to later. Okay, so that's how we want people to think about OKRs. So I suppose, Matt, how does this compare to kind of how you've traditionally seen OKRs set up? Yeah, and exactly. And there's in this initial, uh, when you initially approach OKRs, uh, maybe an instinct even to treat it more like a tree structure where you have this kind of perfectly drawn map uh, starting with the company level or organization level objectives and key results. Uh, and then you know, there's even a, a lot of examples um, out there that kind of make you think that this is the right way to do it. Um, but you do something like take the key result from those company level objectives, and then you turn that into objectives at the departmental level. And then you take the key results there and you turn that into objectives at the team level. Um, and it's this entirely top down process of setting goals. 
um, where essentially every team and every individual is dictating like, here's exactly uh, what you're supposed to do. I'm telling you exactly what your goals are. You're making my stomach turn just saying it, Matt. I know, it's horrible. <laughs> it is, it's awful, it's awful. So when you talk about that structure of kind of an organisation then, should um, would you say that OKR should be mapped onto the organisational chart? And I'll come to you and Lawrence on that one. Go, you go for it, Matt. That's a good question. And I think um, very, very often... Um, OKRs do align relatively well to organizational structure. Um, and in particular, um, you know, there's this opportunity to, when you're doing it the right way, um, you know, really to use OKRs as a way of actually providing autonomy at, down at the team level. Um, now, one of the reasons why a network, though, is so important is so many efforts, especially when they're strategic, end up being very cross-functional. Um, and so you, you might have multiple teams working on them, you have a lot of collaboration between departments. Um, you know, if you define uh, big objectives that you're trying to achieve as an organization, um, it is going to cross a lot of boundaries. Now, ultimately, um, we're big fans of you know, goals um, really kicking in down at the team level. And that, that is going to map to your organization. Um, but this is where the network comes in. Because um, in reality, things get messy and there's not perfect lines that you know would exactly match your reporting structure. Yeah, and I guess kind of every, like you say, every organization's different, so every kind of network looks slightly different, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right, Jen, to be honest. Um, you know, every, every organization's different. They have a different organizational structure. Um, and, and so even if you were mapping them against the org chart, they would be slightly different, I suppose, but you would still find this kind of tree or pyramid approach that, that Matt alluded to where some of these key results become the objectives at the next level down. Um, and, and the big problem with this and, and mapping them onto the org chart in this way is that you're going to run into two problems. Um, the first of which is OKRs are going to, be end up, going to end up being created for the sake of it. So, you know, there are OKRs at the layer above. So um, I feel like I've got to create OKRs for, for my subordinates or my direct reports below me. Um, and when you get into that realm of thinking, you kind of end up with um, just hundreds of OKRs that have no strategical focus or strategical relevance whatsoever. Um, they become to-do lists, basically. You will see the shift in them from very outcome-focused at the top level it's a very output-focused at the bottom level. Um, so that's health warning number one. <laughs> health warning number two, really, is that you're going to end up with OKRs not being owned by the most strategically relevant people in the business. So when something's in the spotlight with an OKR, um, no matter what level of, of level in the business it's set at, that doesn't mean that somebody lower down in the business um, isn't the most relevant person to uh, report on that data and take accountability for that OKR, which means you're missing out on not only empowering your staff further down the down the OKR chart, but you're also just creating a lot more work for the guys at the top that if the right culture was there and if you were thinking of this network rather than OKR, you know that work could have been handed down and could have been dissipated further throughout the team. 
So so the senior the senior guys are creating a rod for their own back just by trying to make OKR stick stick to the hierarchy or the OKR chart. Okay, so from what you're saying, it makes it for me it makes it sound like someone could own an OKR but then potentially have a team that works on that OKR and they don't necessarily do the OKR if that makes sense. So they kind of own the the objective and the key result, but then they have other people work into it as well. So like you say, a network rather than just a hierarchy. Yeah, exactly that. Great stuff. Um, So, Matt, we obviously know there's lots of tools out there, um, but how can a tool kind of help to maintain a network of OKRs and rather than slip into this hierarchical approach? Yeah, uh, that's a great question as well. um, I wanted to add one um, sort of uh, a trap um, or I guess I, I think this is like the warning sign. It's how you know that you've ended up with a, a tree rather than a network, um, which is there's uh, always, um, this is one of the, the first things um, that, that we'll look for. Um, if you have this practice of saying, hey, look, everything that everybody's working on across the entire company has to perfectly ladder up into the company level objectives, um, you, you end up with uh, just a ton of OKRs, um, very often hundreds, uh, even in relatively small organizations. And there always ends up being this instinct to add a kind of generic OKR right up at the, the company level, which is something like be a better company or operational <laughs> excellence uh, or something like that. Because um, it, it ends up being this um, you know, conundrum like, oh my God, everything that everyone in the company is doing has to line up to the top level company objective. Uh, and you know, therefore, we're just going to create a generic catch-all. Um, so that we can have this perfect tree structure. Uh, and that um, really is another kind of smell of you know, losing strategic focus and not um, missing the opportunity to really define the outcomes that will move the business in a really big way. Um, from a tooling perspective, um, there are a few things that can get especially challenging with uh, trying to manage your OKRs manually and um, you know create a, a, a great network. I think one of the the most um, obvious ones is those cross-functional OKRs. And um, so a really traditional um, way of tracking OKRs. And by the way, it, it can can still work. Uh, it's better than nothing. Uh, but you, know, you create a, a spreadsheet or a Google sheet, and every team, uh, each department ends up getting a different sheet. Each team ends up getting a different sheet. Um, but one of the, the big challenges uh, with that approach is how do you uh, model cross-functional OKRs in that world? Um, you end up you know, really just having to copy the goals uh, between multiple different teams or you know, forcing it into more of a tree structure and you know, not creating that, that network effect um, where you can have the best people working towards the most strategic outcomes. Uh, and it just gets to be a mess to, to track and to figure out what's actually going on. And from your point of view, Lawrence, as an OKR consultant, I'm guessing you would think the similar with a tool compared to kind of your spreadsheets. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, you know, Matt's really hit the nail on the head here. That doing it as a network is slightly more complicated. It's a million times more impactful, but it's slightly more complicated um, because it requires the right mindset and the right culture and what have you. Um, but two things are going to be more important than ever two of the principles of OKRs, um, which is that transparency is paramount um, because 
if you aren't expecting to look at a tree of a tree of OKRs and be able to see exactly where you fit in that tree or where your team fits in that tree in line with what you've always expected in the past um, and what matches your your company organizational structure, um, then you need to be able to really quickly find your place, find your objectives, find your key results. And, and that becomes really difficult to do. Um, as Matt said, if you don't have an e easy to use system that's, that's easy to utilize, um, and you know you can use the filters, you can use the um, alignment views and that sort of thing. And then the other thing is is the dependencies change. So no longer are you solely dependent on your work, your colleagues' work, and either your direct report work or your manager work, depending on where you are in the tree. Um, but because it's so cross-functional, there, there are going to be dependencies in all sorts of different places in the organization. Um, and, and with that in mind, again, you're going to have to be able to have full visibility of these. And, and Matt touched on it there. You know, if people are working to different sheets, even if it's on the same spreadsheet, you know, I've seen spreadsheets with hundreds of tabs at the bottom um, for different teams in different periods and different cycles. You've, you've just got no chance if, if you're going to make it work with this network view rather than hierarchy view. Um, so some sort of software has to come into play at this point. Great. Thanks, Lawrence. And I think we've already touched on this, but I suppose it's um, what's the result, I guess, what goes wrong when OKRs are used as a hierarchy? What happens to the teams and the organisation? And I'll come to you, Matt, on that one, please. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll touch on two points. I, I think we could probably riff on this topic for for a bit. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the, you know, let, let's just assume a, a, a top-down, um, fully top-down OKR implementation um, you know, one of the most important ideas behind uh, OKRs is this idea of um, you, know, you, of course, have the objective as well as the key results. And the reason, um, in particular, you write down an objective is you want to imbue um, work with purpose and meaning, and make it clear like why are we chasing these numbers? And it's not just about growing uh, new revenue to ten million dollars, for example. We're trying to do that, and that might be a way that we're measuring some specific impact we're trying to have as a business. Um, so you know, let's just play this out for a second. And so you know, maybe you have an objective of accelerate growth for the business by um, you know, creating uh, more business in the APAC uh, Asia region. And one of those key results is 10 million of new business. Um, so you know, the classic fully top-down uh, mechanic, if you were doing this in sales, might be then all right, great for each of the regions. And we're going to take that $10 million overall number. And now we're going to make an objective of um, you know, 5 million for one part of the sales organization and another 2.5 million for another. And then um, now suddenly, if that's your objective, uh, you're going to create a whole set of activities um, as the key results there that you know, are going to be how we, we do it. And suddenly, you know, if you're a couple layers down, you've lost the entire uh, ability to understand the purpose of what you were doing and the context for it. Um, instead of OKRs um, being a way of empowering employees by um, making their work more purposeful and um, giving clarity to why we're trying to achieve these goals as an objective, you suddenly just have a, a set of KPIs essentially with uh, to-do lists under that. Um, so that that I would um, you know hold out as uh, one of the, the things that uh, you can run into is 
just losing um, as you walk down further and further down the tree, losing the ability to understand, well, why are we actually trying to achieve this? Um, and then, you know, part two, uh, very related, uh, losing uh, the autonomy uh, as you work further down in the organization and where some of the most impact might actually happen. Um, you know, if you're being told exactly what the goals are, um, you know, without any flexibility, and you have no opportunity to simultaneously bottom up, you know, understand the high level direction, and then propose your own goals and ways of measuring that. And you lose autonomy and, and purpose in your work. Great, thanks, Matt. Lawrence, did you want to add anything further to that? Um, only the you know it's it's fantastic points that Matt's making there, and I'm not gonna you know try and add anything to that because he's encapsulated it so well. But what can go wrong when using them as a hierarchy, even just from a simple admin point of view? Um, is that people will often end up feeling like they, if you're using OKRs in a hierarchy, you need to create OKRs at every level of that hierarchy and for every person in that hierarchy. Um, and, okay, people listening to this might think, yeah, that makes sense. With us. That's what we would do. But if you think about what that means, actually, you know, on a, on a practical level, if you follow the best practice recommendation of three to four OKRs at every sort of node in the business where OKRs are going to exist um, and three to four key results per each objective, then you're going to end up with having to try to align at a very minimum, say, in a, a business of 500 people, um, a very minimum of 2,000 OKRs every quarter and therefore seven to eight thousand key results every quarter wow <laughs> yeah and 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 it, it becomes more industry than it than it is value you know anybody that's trying to implement okrs and has seen that happen i'm sure is nodding their head right now because it is a, a monumental task um and it, it becomes more effort than it's worth and you are going to lose the buy-in from the staff because they don't see it as valuable it's going to feel like a micromanagement exercise from from the senior team to be able to really closely follow what people are working on all the time, um, and and as Matt you know correctly alluded to, it just loses all of that purposefulness um, that you would achieve if you were doing them in a in a network of strategical priorities rather than trying to cascade these things down. Lawrence, I think you've you've hit on a, a really important point here, which is just the sheer complexity that can uh, come out of trying to have that fully top-down model. And mm. you know, purely the, the number of goals that you end up with, I think that's a really important um, you know, criteria to look for. And um, you know, just, uh, I'm sure um, you run into this even more um, than, than we do, but I can't tell you the number of times um, we have to start up a conversation with, you have way too many goals. Um, yeah. But there, there's one other aspect to the complexity um, I think that you were alluding to as well, which is your planning process when it's a fully top-down hierarchical goals um, you know, setup is going to be really complicated and long as well. Because if you are creating, trying to create alignment that way, not only are you dealing with a, just a ton of goals at every level, um, but you're also having to set goals at one level before you can set goals at the next level. And so, you know, if you're 
you know, taking this to its logical conclusion and you have, you know, four layers of hierarchy in your business, that's going to be a very long planning process of setting them at each level you know, and that being essentially a, a hard stop gate before you can work your way down to the next level. And we've certainly seen implementations where people spend uh, a month, a month and a half in the planning cycle. Uh, and so, you know, there's just this uh, feeling of hey, we're just perpetually planning and never actually executing on our strategy. Yeah. And these things are supposed to be lean and agile, right? That's the whole point. And, and you know, it's so easy to get trapped in that that vortex of never-ending planning, Matt. You're absolutely right. I think from both what you're both saying yeah, as well, I think sorry, it's obviously definitely sound. No, I was going to say, I think from what you're both saying, I think it sounds like it can be extremely damaging culturally-wise in the organisation as well. Um, so I think that's just something to pick up on from what you've both kind of pointed out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Jen, you've worked with us for, for a long time now and we're all about empowerment of staff. Um and yeah. providing them with a direction and letting them letting them decide how they're going to achieve it. You know, this is the outcome we want. We hired you because you're intelligent staff. We trust you. Go away and make it happen. Um, this hierarchical view changes that. It changes it. Even if you don't mean it to, you've got to be careful because it changes it in the mindset of the staff of this is uh, my manager's objectives and key results. Therefore, um, I must do something that aligns into that or i've seen even worse things like that you know where um say a manager has a key result of um achieving 20 20 new customers in europe and he has four members of staff and each of them have had to take five key results and there's nothing empowering about that it's nothing empowering whatsoever um that is mm -hmm. just killing off so many of the principles of okrs straight away but as businesses get into this hierarchical way of doing them, sometimes that's all they're left with to assign to their, their staff or to allow their staff to even collaborate on because um, they're, they're going down this hierarchical, hierarchical path and there's nothing of strategical relevance left to assign them OKRs on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't know whether you wanted to add something further to that, Matt. I think um, you know when I and hear someone say I hate OKRs, um, it's very often because they've worked in an environment where uh, essentially OKRs process was implemented this way, and there is just a, a ton of complexity, and not a lot of autonomy, and not a lot of strategic impact, and you know the the worst of all worlds, you know the level of effort that you put into the business process is much less than uh, the value that you get out of it. Um, and so, you know, what we want to look for instead is a way of um, using OKRs to create autonomy and to ensure that we're imbuing work with purpose uh, and to keep the process as simple and lean and agile as possible. So you're getting massively more value out of it uh, than the effort that you're putting in. So I love how Koan is designed with the team in mind. The team is really at the centre of the system and it's about helping the team and the members of those teams obviously to really collaborate on how they work with OKRs. I mean there's, there's obviously full transparency across the system which helps and then the features that they have around feedback uh, and uh, being able to track uh, levels of confidence and so on and so forth around and progress against OKRs. 
it, it's, it's amazing. And it, because of that level of transparency, it builds accountability and fosters some great communication. So yeah, I love how teams are just at the center of uh, the system. I want to shift the conversation a little bit, but it's still something to talk about in within this realm. Um, something that we hear in a term we hear of very regularly is cascade and OKRs. And I know, Lawrence, this makes you slightly nervous. So I just wanted to ask why this was really. Yeah, it, cascading OKRs is one of the most um, frequent terms you'll come across if you Google it or read any of the books or whatever, because what they actually mean is aligning OKRs. But cascading OKRs is exactly what Matt and I have been talking about here, where you know somebody's key results become the next person's objectives, become the next person's key results, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, it's not to be confused for alignment, which is what I think most people are actually alluding to when they use the term cascading OKRs, i.e. everybody should be um, setting their focus on the common goal. You know, we're all trying to achieve the same thing. These things are, that are in the spotlight, everybody's work should be aligning into making progress on those and moving the needle on those key results. But that's very different to cascading. Um, you know, and that can be done through, this can be done through an alignment, uh, through a network approach rather than a cascading approach. Great. We've actually had a question in from Mappet actually about kind of the hierarchy approach. And they say um, they're in the third OKR cycle and they are, they are exactly in a hierarchy. So how do they unravel a hierarchy and transfer it into a network? It seems like detail is part of our culture. Yeah, so great question. Um, and I think it's three main points to note, which is, um, is there enough collaboration and cross-functionality going on between teams? So are teams and departments coming together to discuss the OKRs that are being set? Because that's how you create that sort of horizontal network approach at first, rather than just cascading a hierarchy straight down. Um and then it's the question that's being asked once an OKR is written of who should own the OKR. Um, so don't always think that somebody at a lower level can't own an objective that's higher up the what you would call the traditional hierarchy. So, you know, start to play around with who is owning what, where. Um, and then the third question is, are you setting OKRs that have lost their strategical relevance? Are they just, uh, I have to get these numbers because my boss's numbers are, are these ones above and I have to do my fair share of them? Or are, do they still have strategical, um, strategical relevance to them? You know, if they're feeling a bit to-do listy, if they're feeling a bit, um, you know, output focused rather than outcome focused or business as usual focused, then it sounds like you're in this hierarchy view rather than um, the network view. And it's worth saying on that point as well that because it's a network, different OKRs can have a different number of supporting OKRs or a different number of aligned OKRs because it should stop, like I say, where the strategical relevance ends. And if that means for one core OKR, it has two layers um, of OKRs aligned into it, then great. If for another one, it's three layers, fantastic. If they're all still strategically relevant, outcome-focused OKRs. Or maybe on one of the OKRs, you think, actually, you know what? This is fine just to leave at a core level. Um, 
we know what we need to do to work on it. If we write anything under this, it'll just be a to-do list and therefore it doesn't need, to, doesn't need OKRs under it. That's fine because it's a network and networks and web spread out at different rates um, depending on, on, on where they are and, and how much detail needs to align in underneath it. Great. Thanks, Lawrence. I think um, that answered Mappet's question really well. And it's something that we wanted to speak about anyway. It was about kind of how businesses approach doing this differently. So, Matt, I mm -hmm. thought I'd come to yourself now as well as Lawrence has kind of already answered Mappet's question slightly on that. Yeah. And, and I love that very specific point around, you know, thinking about um, you know, not every top level company objective does need the, the same number of layers below it. Um, I think that that test that you proposed, Lawrence, of only take it down as far as their strategic relevance is a is a really good one. Um, one of the pieces of advice we often um, find you know, that we're offering our customers is, all right, with your with your OKRs methodology, one concept you might need to let go of that uh, might be you know, difficult at first, and especially if you've been coming from a practice where you do have this strict hierarchy, is letting go of the assumption that everyone's work all day long needs to be tied to a goal somewhere. Um, in other words, if, if you feel like all the work that we're uh, doing in the entire company has to be connected to a goal somehow, otherwise we can't measure the progress. Uh, if you do that, it's going to be really hard to not end up with way too many goals and to not end up with something that ends up looking like a, a strict hierarchy. Um, and, you know, there's a, a lot of different approaches. I'd be really interested if um, you, uh, you, Lawrence, have a set of heuristics that you recommend um, to your clients. Um, but I think the reality in most businesses is that the focus area of where there needs to be strategic impact can actually move around from quarter to quarter. Um, in one quarter, it might be needing to deliver a massive product innovation. Uh, another quarter, it might be needing to completely retool and rebuild the way that customer support happens. And there's probably going to be a lot of opportunities um, to, for different parts of the organization to make impact to that top-level strategic initiative and outcome that you're trying to achieve. But based on who you are in the company, it might be a different percentage. Um, you know, your job might be 100% focused towards uh, a goal, or you know, maybe you're 50-50. Um, half of your work is you know, kind of keeping the lights on work um, or business as usual work. And then 50% is, is towards a goal. And all that's okay. And um, if you adopt a network approach um, and you know, really think about your OKRs as the opportunity to change the way uh, that the business is functioning, uh, you can let go of that pressure of everybody needs to have goals and every single thing that we're working on needs to be measured with a goal. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, um, you're spot on there, Matt. Um, just sorry, Jen, just to touch no. on that quickly. We, it's, you're right, it's two OKR myths that need debunking in there. Um, first of all, the one that you mentioned, Matt, which is that everybody needs an OKR, which is, is just utter nonsense, as you touched on. Um, the second one is, is that, OKRs are a replacement for KPIs. Um, OKRs are not a replacement for KPIs. You know, these two things have to live very harmoniously together. KPIs are really what, what are telling you if you're going to keep the lights on, as Matt said. So if your work is, is mostly around keeping the lights on, it's absolutely fine for it to remain 
um, being measured by KPIs. Um, however, that also doesn't mean that a KPI can never become an OKR. I mean, you know, key results are measures, they're metrics at the end of the day, as are KPIs. So it makes sense that key results are going to lean on KPIs from time to time. And what it basically means is if you've got a business as usual role or a day-to-day -day role um, that's, that suddenly takes an alarming dip where the KPI is concerned, let's take customer feedback, for example. If you, for years and years on end, maintain a customer feedback score of 95%, then you don't need an OKR on it because you're already really bloody good at it. You know, OKRs should be looking to um, grow results. But say it suddenly drops to 85% or 75%, that KPI, that, that customer feedback score, then it might be slightly alarming. Um, and that's when you might want to bring that KPI that up until this point has been day-to-day, business-as-usual work into an OKR because you're asking the question, what are we going to do to focus our attention onto resolving this problem, getting, our KPI, getting this KPI back up to a healthy level? Um, but once it's solved and you're getting good traction with it again, take it back out, let it become a health metric again, a KPI, and use your OKRs, the limited resource of OKRs, to, to shine the spotlight to dedicate that focus elsewhere. Um, and that's that's how you end up with what, what Matt was saying of the scope changing and the spotlight moving across the stage of where people's um, focus needs to be drawn. And I love that advice. Um, and there is there's perhaps a danger when we use uh, the word business as usual, um, you know, and that making it sound like that's not important. Um, yeah. you know, to your point, uh, there may be centers of excellence um, in the, the business where you're maintaining very high-level KPIs and, and health metrics, mm -hmm. um, but you're just executing month after month and um, doing that as a business. It's a highly tuned machine. Um, I, I think you're exactly right. Like That's a perfect um, example of where uh, a health metric or KPI is a, a great way of ensuring that you're maintaining that high level. And you might call that business as usual, but um, that can be business excellence. Um, and yeah. you know, as opposed to the OKR, which is, hey, we really need to craft uh, and define and uh, make clear a change that needs to be made. Um, because yeah, I, I like your spotlight analogy. Um, this is where we need to shine and focus and achieve a breakthrough. Absolutely. Great, thanks both. I think um, we've obviously spoke about kind of the why the network is better than the hierarchical approach. And there's obviously mm. multiple tools out there, but I just wondered whether there was any kind of tools that were available to kind of help with this approach. And I'll come to you, I suppose, Lawrence, first on this one. <laughs> yeah, so um, remote working, doing these setups remotely with our clients has, has driven us to have to find some tools, to be honest. Mm. Um, and one of the best ones we've come across is a tool called Group Map. Um, others are out there. Um, but basically what you're looking to do is, is use any sort of like traditional mind mapping software where you can create these OKRs from, from a middle point outwards. If you use flowchart software, then you're going to end up automatically going into these functional hierarchies, just, just subconsciously. It's, it's the way you're going to think about it. But with mind mapping, you can build the connections and, and you can't just put people in um, you know, to where they fit 
depending on what layer of the business they're in, because that's not how mind mapping works. Mind mapping helps you to create a web. So I'd recommend checking out Group Map. Um, it's a fantastic way of doing it collaboratively with your employees. Um, but really, that mind map approach is, is what to think about. Yeah, I think um, obviously we've set our OKRs internally and group maps, something we've used. And I know in terms of the collaboration and being able to use it separately at different times and add things in really helps with that network approach. So, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, Matt, anything you wanted to kind of add there, the tools that can help people with this approach? Yeah, I was going to touch on um, also just you know, a little bit of the, the detail of the process. Um, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time talking today about, don't do this. Oh, my God, uh, you'll fall into this trap. Um, but you know, there's the obvious question, well, what do we do instead? Um, I think the um, group map recommendation is, is great from a planning perspective and thinking about this you know, as a, a mind map, not, not a flow chart. Um, one of the other things to just think through as well is, you know, uh, we often talk about this uh, simultaneous top-down and bottom-up process of setting goals, mm. um, and I think that's another another way of, of thinking about how to tackle this problem. Which is, you know, you'll define a planning period, and defining that planning period to being relatively short, um, we think is a great idea. You don't want to let it drag out week after week after week, and if you are keeping this lightweight and truly focused on the the most important. Uh, objectives um, and outcomes you're trying to achieve as an organization, you should be able to get through that process pretty quickly, especially if you've made the investment um, in clearly defining your company mission and vision and strategy and, and yearly objectives uh, when you go into that quarterly planning process. Um, so you know, some of the advice we love giving is um, have some really specific, um, you know, have a really specific playbook about when you enter the planning process and when you will finish it and some of the feedback loops uh, inside. And then you know, there's definitely this process um, you know, at the company level uh, objectives and outcomes where um, you do you know, define those. And that's a really good starting point for the whole organization. And doing some of that um, mind mapping exercise is a great way of kind of exploring how that can tendril into various parts of the organization. But then there can also be a simultaneous bottom-up process where teams can be proposing goals um, and finding some opportunities to collaborate cross-functionally, knowing those top-level outcomes um, that have already been defined at the company level, and then create feedback loops. And that will help to make sure that the planning process um, you know, doesn't drag on and on and on, because now you don't have to you know, go from one level to another, to another, to another. And you can have everybody you know, kind of defining the goals and having feedback uh, in this window of time. And so that that's what we usually mean by bottom-up um, as well as top-down goal setting, um, but having a, a relatively narrow window uh, to do your planning in uh, can really help to ensure that things stay simple too. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Be strict on those deadlines and, and keep to them because otherwise it will drag on for months. And, and again, it will go back to what we said earlier. It will become more planning than it is execution. It sounds like from what you're saying as well, it's very important in terms of the feedback slash communication kind of check-ins as well are all really important to this network approach rather than this hierarchical approach. Um, and I know with us, our check-ins are very much the whole teams so that kind of lends itself to the network approach. And I understand that's not as easy to yeah. do in bigger organizations, but it seems like that would be really important as well. 
Okay. Exactly. So we've um, we've obviously spoke a lot today about kind of why the network approach, like you say, Matt, and we've kind of said, don't do this, don't do that. Um, but kind of is there a shift in mindset that needs to take place for an organization to be able to follow the kind of network route, I guess? Yeah, I think um, we've talked, we've touched on um, uh, a lot of these things, but um, one, you know, one, one, more thing to add to that, which is um, you know being clear at organizationally, you know why why are we doing OKRs and what do we hope to get out of them? Uh, it can actually be pretty important to to set that context and to remind yourselves as a team why we're doing this. Um, you know, in particular, and uh, just to state very clearly, you know we're not embracing OKRs and our our goal setting methodology as a way of micromanaging everyone in the organization. Uh, especially in uh, the new world we find ourselves in, uh, where we are at the very least um, temporarily uh, remotely working, um, in many cases now much more permanently remotely working. It's more important than ever to, uh, as Lauren said, like trust the people that you've hired, know that you've hired smart people, and give them the tools uh, to do their best work uh, imbued with purpose. And if you start um, and you kind of... Uh, Tell yourselves um, almost as a mantra, like, this is why we've embraced OKRs uh, in order to um, make sure that we can shine a light on what's most important, to keep things simpler, and to give an opportunity for everyone in the organization to make massive impact and to know why their work matters. And that's just a a good, uh, almost philosophical place to start with. Um, And then as you start to work through the details and write down your goals process and the playbook and think through those planning exercises, uh, you can come back to those principles and kind of check yourself if things are getting too complicated or you find yourself uh, with a goal that really is uh, more of a to-do list um, and not strategic. Um, you, know, you can throw it away and, and go back to something a little simpler. Yeah, if I can kind of just, just touch on this point about mindset as well. Um, there are, as I see it, two or three key areas that have to be adopted in the business for this to work. And, and, and again, I'm going to start with a bit of a health warning of where I've seen it really, really not work um, and where the hierarchy approach is, is instilled. And it's where there's actually um, concerns around managerial safety, i.e. the managers want to own the top-level OKRs, because they're scared that if somebody below them owns them, um, they will be seen as not useful to the company or not relevant to the company. So they almost try and hoard the top-level decisions um, to make themselves look important and valuable to, to the company, whereas really you know, they're there to provide the direction and expertise and support everybody throughout the business. So if you're concerned um, that that's going on in the business and that there might be that impact – there might be some culture and practice work, uh, culture and values work we need to do with your top team. Um, and that that leads into psychological safety, mm. um, which is the fear of failure, you know. And that means that these guys who we're going to ask to take on objectives and key results, a level that might traditionally be seen as higher um, than, than where they're at in the org chart, they have to be encouraged and they've got to be supported 
And if it if they take a high level responsibility and it goes a little bit wrong, you know, everybody in the business has to has to support them and take the lessons from it, not be immediately sort of chastising them. Otherwise, you're never going to have anybody willing to take up, uh, willing to stand up and take responsibility again. Um, so it's about that supportive atmosphere um, rather than rather than. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, rather than using it as an opportunity to kind of um, expectantly have people fail. Yeah, I think that psychological safety point's a really good one, especially in the current climate where people are working from home and they kind of haven't got the reassurance necessarily of being in the office and being able to bounce ideas and that kind of thing. So yeah, and even you know, just job safety is a concern for a lot of people yeah, right now. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, One very practical tip just to, to riff on that, because um, I, I really love that point, Lawrence, is you know, one sure way of, of killing the ability to create that um, psychological safety and uh, you know, spirit of, of risk-taking and um, embracing stretch results is to tie your OKRs explicitly to the performance management process. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if people know, you know the way I'm going to get promoted and the way that I'm going to receive compensation is directly tied to goal achievement. Well, everyone's going to demand, um, you know, having goals. Everyone's going to demand uh, kind of lowering the bar on those goals as much as possible, and you know, it's going to go right back to um, you know, almost automatically that hierarchical goal approach. Yeah, of course. And I think just to add to that, Matt, I think um, obviously people will want goals, but then you have something happen like it's happened this year with the worldwide pandemic and it's kind of out of your hands completely where some of your goals will be affected. So I agree. I think it kind of you need to be more secure in your mindset and your, in your workplace to be able to excel, really. Absolutely. Okay, well, we've kind of come to the end of our discussion. So I just wanted to come to you guys on any kind of final thoughts around the kind of network approach. Um, and I'll come to you, Lawrence, first, um, and then come to you, Matt, if that's okay. Sure. So, uh, I mean, it, it's going to be different for different businesses how quickly they can implement this and grow to this network. And it's okay for it to be a journey. You know, we're asking big things here, you know, especially of, of, of organizations over 150, 200 people. We're asking for a big change and a big mindset change. Um, all we're saying is that we promise you the rewards will be worth it once you've gone through this journey. Um, but just pick a starting place and give it, you know, give it a go. You know, whether that is um, allowing one or two people to step up and own higher level goals or it's creating more cross functionality in the business. Um just have a go and see how it works and take the learning from it. If, if it all goes wrong, don't get disheartened, you know, um, see, look into what went wrong and what you could do differently next time and, and just learn and move on that journey as you go. And I absolutely agree with that, um, that journey. And, um, and as part of that evolution and in every case, look for the opportunity to, to simplify. If you are stuck in this hierarchical process, um, as we talked about, you're, you're probably in an environment where there are just way too many goals and where, you know, it's a mix of to-dos and tactical work, um, you know, mixed in with, with the actual strategic outcomes you're trying to achieve. And so part of, part of how you can uh, take your organization on this journey is just to, to look for those opportunities for radical simplification and uh, write down less goals. Um, you'll, you'll force um, some of those conversations around 
um, cross-functional goals. And um, you know, if, if there's less things that we say are important, um, now you're going to have more discussions uh, about the network in the organization that will achieve them. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to finish our conversation today. So just wanted to thank you both, obviously, for joining us for that chat about um, network and not a hierarchy approach to OKRs. We hope everyone enjoyed today's episode of Giant Talk. And if you did, we'd love you to go to your podcast provider of choice and give us preferably a five-star review. That would be lovely. Um, and we look forward... <laughs> And we look forward to you joining us for future episodes of Giant Talk. This will be available as an episode on our channel as well if you couldn't join us for the live. And finally, just stay stay, stay safe and thanks for listening. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Jenny. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye. Matt. Bye.